Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, the transition to motherhood is challenging for any woman, but it can be particularly difficult for those heading from the high-powered corporate world into the unpredictable life of dealing with a new baby. Isolation, sleepless nights and a lack of control are all factors that new mums have to deal with, myself included, 20 years ago. And although there are plenty of parenting books and websites to help, the one thing they often don't deal with is the emotional transition that career or corporate mums face. And so today we're going to have a chat about that, about keeping it real, making the shift from corporate superwoman or career woman to mum. And so my special guest is... Jamie Abbott. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Mel. How are you? I'm so good. And I'm so glad that you are in here and really cool about sharing your experiences because you became a new mom two years ago. That's right. Two years ago. Exactly. And I see you as the epitome of the corporate super woman. (laughs) I have to laugh when I hear you describe me like that. Well, I suppose it's funny because it's one of those things that, you know, quite often women, we downplay internally, we downplay what we think we do and, you know, achievements and things. That's so true. And we really only focus on the negatives and what's not going right in our life. And that's probably where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I suppose, but I look at you, I think I've known you maybe about seven or eight years now. Yeah, at least, I think, at least. Yeah. So I kind of have really only known you, I think I first met you maybe at a women's networking event. And I think you were going into politics at the time. Right. Okay. Putting my hand up to have a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you have had an amazing career and have done many things that I'm sure that Soul Sisters you probably don't know about. So let's start at the beginning. To start off with, how old are you now? I am 38. Are you? Yes. Fabulous looking 38. (laughs) Thank you. It's so hot out there today. 35 degrees, all the makeup stripped off. I hear you, sister. I've been going through that myself, but it's not the pores. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the pores I keep telling myself. So you now have a professional public speaking and corporate affairs business. That's right. Yes. And you're also in the Defence Force? I am. I'm in the Air Force Reserves and I work for the Department of Defence as well. Okay. But when did you really start your career? So people don't know this, but I actually was a journalist. I started at a very credible current affairs program called Today Tonight. Really? Yeah, as a producer. So I was doing all those non-sexy stories that you would see that would go to air uh, on Channel 7 as a as a university student. I was working there. So you were a producer on that show? A researcher, researcher. to be specific. So it actually was very non-glamorous. I would come into work and they would say, Jamie, we're doing a story on yogurt. Can you find a family in Sydney who eats a lot of yogurt? How do you even do that? How do you even find a family who eats a lot of yogurt? You jump on the phones and you call health food stores, gymnasiums, you know, all those different places where you might find some yogurt nut and you find them. And they are the people that get on the the news or the current affairs program that evening and someone else gets to put their their name and their uh, voice to the story and get all the credit for it. Oh, that's so, that, no, that, that would be really interesting. It was great. I was 20, so I was still at uni and just doing that casually as a freelancer on the side. It, it was good exposure. Do you have any particularly memorable story that you researched? Oh, that yogurt one was a cracker. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, you, you do that. And then uh, there was a time where there was a miracle water claim. So somebody down in the South Coast was developing some water, which out of their springs, I think it was, and it apparently cured arthritis. And A Current Affair, which was our competitor at the time, they had the, st- the story, the scoop, and Today Tonight found out about it. And then we all jumped on a, on a chopper and flew down there in the middle of this program. And there was Mike Munro, I think it was, in the middle of this field in Bowerall or wherever we were. And uh, we were just basically trying to steal the story off them. <laughs> Did you? Did you succeed? I think we both went to air that night with the story as our lead. So yeah. it was certainly a very competitive environment. Well, there you go. That is, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Okay, so start off today, tonight. Yeah, that's why I was at uni. I was at uni yep. in Bathurst doing journalism and just did that on the side. Yep. Then I went to 2GB Radio in Sydney and worked alongside Alan Jones and Ray Hadley. And I was in the newsroom there as a 20, 21-year-old. That was my first full-time job. How did you find Alan Jones? Scary, scary. I get that. Intimidating, scary. I get that. I remember years ago, I was working at a golf course, residential development in the Hunter Valley, and they had invited Alan Jones to come along and attend a a massive event there. And I I think it might've even been before the, it had officially opened. And so all the directors took Alan Jones out for lunch and he had a driver, this young guy, young guy in his twenties, who was his driver. And he apparently we're supposed to sit outside the restaurant for hours and hours and wait for Alan to finish his lunch. And so we're like, come over to Harrigan's, come to the pub and have a drink. Don't sit outside. We managed to, to, you know, tempt him away and, you know, had a couple of drinks and he was literally 45 minutes. I I can't stay here. I have to go. I will lose my job if I'm not waiting outside that restaurant when Alan Jones walks out. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, he's, he's wielding some power there. Yeah. Look, I think he did treat his staff well, but I just found him intimidating and I was so scared about stuffing up on air, especially during his shift. You know, I would do the 9.30 PM to 5.30 AM shift overnight and his breakfast show would come on during my last bulletin. And I was always so scared, shaking, reading the news at the 5am bulletin. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. So that's two amazing, very well-known media brands that you've worked for. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. I mean, today, tonight, I was very much behind the scenes. No one would even know who I was there. I was just in the background researching. But 2GB was great fun. I was on air five days a week, even if it was overnights occasionally and on the road reporting, it was um, a lot of fun as a 20, 21 year old. Yeah, I bet. Cool. So where did you go to after that? I then went to Tamworth, the country music capital and spent three years there at Prime TV as a news presenter and news reporter. And that was probably the best three years of my life in Tamworth. Loved it. Yeah, I think an NBN newsreader. Was she Tash Love? Yeah, I think from... that was a little bit before my time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was there a couple of years later. I think she was already in Newcastle by then. Yeah. But yeah, Kylie Gillies, so many, you know, fantastic journalists have come out of Tamworth. They that's have. for sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And so when did, did you come from Tamworth to Newcastle then? So I'm from Newcastle, but yes, yes, I went to Tamworth for three years and then came back to work for a politician. I did a little stint at Aldi, actually, in the middle of that, Aldi Supermarkets as oh. an area manager. Yeah. Did not last longer than four months and then went to work for the federal MP. And so when did you decide then to go into politics yourself? Was was that, was working for the MP, is that what kind of prompted you to want to 
to go into that? Yes and no. So at the time I used to think, wow, I wouldn't want to be him. But I did kind of like, we would drive, we had Gloucester and Dungog as part of our electorate. And I remember we would drive all the way up to Gloucester to give the local historical society, for example, a little $200 check or giant check, you know, those giant novelty checks uh, so they could buy a new coffee urn for their, you know, and just seeing the difference that made to their lives and how happy they were about this $200. I thought, wow, this is so rewarding. And, you know, also we were at Parliament House in Canberra and seeing firsthand the difference that politicians from all sides could make into changing our lives for the better. You know, I love that side of it and really making a difference no matter how small. So I kind of, looking back, I thought, I probably that exposure made me think I want to do this in the future, but it wasn't something I considered and said, I want to put my hand up there and then. So when did you join the Air Force? So at the end of that year. So that was the 2007 election year. And I joined the Air Force Reserves that year thinking the Howard government would be returned and I could do a little bit of Air Force work on the side. Didn't uh, turn out that way. Whilst the MP I was working for won his seat, the government lost. That was the Kevin 07 year. Oh, of course. Yeah, work choices. It was a very challenging time for that side of politics. And by that stage, I had probably jumped through all the hoops to go into the Air Force Reserves. And the day after the election, I got a call and they said, do you want to come in full time as a reservist on a full time contract? And luckily, I think I probably would have been out of a job. I, <laughs> I could jump at that chance and, and go straight into the, to the wrap. Yeah. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. So you run for state and federal? Yes. Yeah, so I originally ran for federal, for the federal seat of Newcastle. And that's a seat that's always been held by Labor. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up here and I don't think ever since Federation, uh, the original seat, there's always been Labor. Yeah. So it was always an uphill battle, but it was fun. Yeah. You know, I did it for 18 months. It was a long campaign, mm-hmm. met many friends along the way. And look, I look back now and people, my dad always says, oh, I regret running in that campaign because he helped me so much. But, you know, it's all about life experiences you yeah. know I met so many because I went to every networking event in Newcastle well, yeah, I think that must have been when I met you <laughs> yeah I would never would have met you if it wasn't for that federal campaign absolutely do you mind me asking because you weren't successful mm. in getting through were you devastated probably not that time no because we were always the underdog you know yeah. we were never a couple of times there I thought oh we might be able to win this but no it was such a safe labor seat I was always the underdog but it was great to come out the end of it and think there was no stone left unturned you yeah. know we did there was nothing left in the tank we'd spent every cent we had knocked on as many doors as I could we yeah. had as many I had Tony Abbott was the opposition leader at the time and I had him and Malcolm Turnbull I had them all come here Julie Bishop Christopher Pine they were all so supportive yeah so I feel like there was there were no regrets yeah and that's kind of a good mental place to be in so it was not like that the second time when you went to state no because that was only last year I had a baby in the middle of it so I had the baby I had my first son Harvey in November 2018 and I was already endorsed as a state candidate by then and look you just have no idea how hard it's going to be with a baby you know and and hang on so you were already on the local government by then yes Yes. yeah we've skipped a step step there so 2017 I was um, elected to Port Stephens Council as an independent councillor because we didn't run Liberal candidates. But that's a whole different ball game being a councillor and having a couple of weeks off to being a state candidate in the middle of it. So I remember the day I got out of hospital, I did a press conference in Karua. So 
When you decided to run, had were you pregnant? I was, yeah. Well, yes and no. Like I'd, I'd kind of had always had my mind set on running in Port Stephens. I'd lived there for four years prior to that. Yeah. It was just the timing of it all. You know, Matt and I made that decision to to try for a baby and got pregnant at the beginning of 2018, knowing the, the state election was the, the following year. But I remember thinking, oh, we can do it. We can make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be easy. We'll just bring the baby on the campaign trail. Which is the point of this podcast episode. <laughs> I can so empathize with that. I mean, when I fell pregnant with my son, I was in my, I think I was 24. So in a different place to you, I was 24 and I was working, I was living over in Broome in the Kimberleys in WA, which is a small town on the coast surrounded by days of desert and my so my then husband he's now my ex-husband my then husband and I had decided that we would have a baby that you know in we kind of were like oh this time in our life you know this is going to be a good time for us to have a baby and so I fell pregnant very quickly and easily and I remember that people would say to me oh having a baby is really easy you just keep living your life like you would if you didn't have a baby and they just sleep, eat and poop and you just take the baby with you everywhere. Who told you this? Okay, my mum was one. Mum, I'm so <laughs> blaming you for that. Maybe, maybe you were an easy baby, Mel. <laughs> maybe. Well, I think, think that I, I remember her saying that. She goes, oh, you were tasty. You just ate, slept and slept and pooped. And I remember other girls that I knew living over in Bremen, they were the same. They were like, oh, no, it's really easy having a baby. You just keep living your life like you were, but you just take the baby with you. I really thought that that's how it was. I remember when I gave birth to my son, number one, well, okay, so I didn't realize how painful that was going to be, one. But two, <laughs> but two, I was absolutely knocked for six like at the lethic, like the sleepless nights, the fatigue. And I know it sounds really dumb, but I really was absolutely surprised at how much my life changed. Yeah, it's funny you remember that. I feel like a lot of people don't remember the hard times and they mm. remember the, the positive. Even my own mum will remember the positive uh, experiences and not the sleepless nights and the breastfeeding challenges and all that, all that comes with being a mum. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. So for you to kind of go, oh, well, you are on council and you're going to run for government and you've had a baby during that, that's amazing. Thank you. In hindsight, I probably would not have put my hand up for the state seat knowing how hard it was. Yeah. You know, and you don't know if you've never had a baby before, you think, oh, well, I'll just, you know, be able to give him to mum and dad and Matt will be able to look after him. But it's not that easy. Yeah. It's not. So when did you first figure that out? Look, pretty much straight away. Because I remember we had breastfeeding um, challenges. He just wouldn't latch and, and he had jaundice and he was put in hospital for 24 hours, you know, with the jaundice under the special lights. And so that made it even harder for him to latch. So I ended up pumping pretty much as soon as I got out of the hospital, I made that decision. I was going to exclusively pump. That's the term. Really? Mm. I'm actually writing that. a book on that at the moment, how to exclusively pump, because it's a lonely world. You know, you're not breastfeeding, you're not giving formula. You are literally chained to this machine like a cow eight times a day, 45 minutes at a time. And I was doing that. Um, I, I've never heard of that. Yeah, exclusively pumping. It is a thing. And there was not a lot of literature out there. So there are a couple of groups on Facebook exclusively pumping Australia. But really, there was no sort of book I could pick up and 
think, how do I do this? How do I increase my supply? How do I get through the mental uh, challenges of sitting there at three in the morning with this breast pump, just sitting there while Matt would feed, you know, a bottle of my pumped milk. It was kind of a different experience to what I thought would happen. You know, I thought I'd just be this amazing breastfeeder and he would latch fine and it would just be all smooth and dandy, but it didn't really turn out like that with my first child. So is that why they say do exclusively pump because that's the latching problems? Is that why? Oh, there's a whole heap of reasons why people exclusively pump, but generally they, no one would probably choose to do that. Yeah. It worked out quite well in the end because I was on the election, election campaign trail and I could just give him to someone with a bottle. But yeah, usually they can't latch or they get sick or you've got inverted nipples, all these different reasons that people don't breastfeed and they still want to give their baby breast milk and uh, they go that pumping route and then they might top up with a little bit of formula here and there, but you're basically on this machine 24-7. It feels like 24-7. It's eight times a day, middle of the night pump, 3 a.m., get up, go on the pump. Whereas now I'm breastfeeding my second child, um, Harrison, and it's easier to just put him on there. I think if I had issues again, if I had another baby and I had issues, I probably would go straight to formula because the exclusive pumping option was really challenging physically and mentally. Yeah. How do you keep yourself upbeat about that? Because I can imagine, yeah, the the drain on you, not just the drain of your milk, but like emotionally. Yeah. It was really emotionally hard. I'm I'm talking about it upbeat now because I'm not living the pumping journey at the moment. I'm doing a breastfeeding journey, but I remember going to a mum's group and everyone would sit around and either, you know, pull out a bit of a formula or put their baby on the breast and sit there feeding and Here's me just pumping away. I had every type of pump under the sun. I had the portable pumps. I had the large hospital grade pumps. I had five different pumps. That's when I started writing the book because it was just, you know, a whole new world. And I would sit there with my baby sitting next to me in this capsule. And we had a capsule of this mum's group. And here I am with this machine. And yeah, I felt so alone. I felt like a failure. I felt lonely. Yeah. Uh, I distracted myself with the election campaign. You know, I was driving to a press conference and had the pump on. You know, I'd pull up and pour the milk in and put it in my little esky and then go and do a press conference and then oh drive God. somewhere else. It was really weird. Would be that would be tough. I don't know. I could cope with that. Yeah, I remember actually on Australia Day, I was driving to Raymond Terrace from Nelson Bay, and I got pulled over by the police for a random breath test. No. Yeah, near McDonald's at Raymond Terrace, and this young constable, because I I was actually not sure if it was legal or not. You know, you have a pumping bra, so you'd be hands free, but this poor young constable pulled me over and. I said, is this illegal? Because I'm not sure if it's illegal or not. The poor guy, he just said, look, ma'am, it's fine. Both hands on the wheel. Please move on. It's fine. He didn't know where to look. Don't want to look at your pumping boobs. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, then I drove off. I went to this citizenship ceremony at Raven Terrace and, you know, did the milk thing again and did the ceremony. And then I drove back to Nelson Bay and pumped again. Yeah. It was just this crazy world of of pumping. Yeah, I bet. And were you getting much sleep then? Not really. No, I mean, it was broken sleep, but you just kind of, it's amazing how you can just operate on little sleep when you're a new mum. You just kind of make it work. I really struggled. I'm struggling now. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel like I'm struggling now because my my son is waking at four in the morning. Yeah. He's up for the day. He's excited and ready to face the day. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm finding it hard now. But yeah. I don't know, just back then, I think because I was running on adrenaline. I had a brand new baby. I was running an election campaign. Did you face any criticism around being a new mum and running a campaign? A couple of people, yeah. Probably from my own side of politics, actually, the extremely conservative types. You know, there's a couple of comments that would make on Facebook or even to my face sometimes. But look, that was probably maybe 3% of people. The rest were very supportive. When I found out I was, was endorsed and they all found out I was pregnant. I remember telling the Premier first, actually. I remember speaking to her about it and she was so supportive. She just went, you can do this. This is amazing. This is great. That's really good. That was really powerful for me because I looked up to her and... Is it the current Premier? Current Premier. Yeah. So she was the Premier then. Yes. Gladys Berejiklian. Yeah. Yeah, And she was really supportive. And But I think if it was someone else who said, oh, how are you going to go being a candidate? Where a lot of the critics, well, those couple of people who were um, doubtful, you know, that was in my head thinking, well, I can't do this. But I had a lot of family support, so that was great. And I just kind of ignored those who were criticizing, I guess, because I was still fronting up to every press conference. I was still doing everything I was required to do as a candidate. But behind the scenes, it was a struggle. Yeah, it really was. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? That we don't see behind the scenes. We just see Jamie Abbott, career woman, superwoman, politician, business owner. We just see that, but we actually don't know what's what's going on behind the scenes. That's so true. I mean, I'm not going to post a photo of myself there in the middle of the night crying because my nipples are hurting with a breast pump. You know, I'm not going to, you don't see that on social media. You only post the happy, glamorous type pics. You know, you don't, and that's just how social media is. You think, well, no one wants to see this. But really it was, it was hard. And there was so much mum guilt because I was out every day campaigning, door knocking and leaving my brand new baby. He was a couple of months old. I think he was about three months old when it really started ramping up. But leaving him at home with Matt, my partner. Did that mum guilt come just from you or or did you actually feel guilted? I don't really remember anyone guilting me, not to my face. (laughs) Although a couple of times I, I would include my son in some photos and the Premier would come and, you know, we'd have a couple of cuddles and... I'd bring him to, to as many opportunities as I could to see him. And people would say, oh, you're just using that baby for election purposes. That was pretty hurtful because I would hardly see him and he would come along to one meeting or one photo opportunity before I would jump back in the car. So that was probably the only type of criticism I got there. But it was more my own guilt that I felt. I felt I should be spending every moment with him. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not. We can be pretty hard on ourselves. I know. With mother guilt. Yeah, we are, we are. We are very hard on ourselves. I'm, I've felt it this year, yeah. you know, which we'll, we'll probably talk about shortly, but <laughs> yeah. this year was hard. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Okay, so let's talk about this year then. How's this year? And, you, and you've just had another bub? Yes. Harrison. five months old now. Five months old. So how's that been different this year? compared to when you had your first bubber and you're going through yeah. an election? Well, I think I, I probably what's clear now is I'd say yes to every opportunity that comes my way. I've always had that sort of philosophy. And this year I probably took on too much. I started studying a full-time master's degree in February, right before COVID hit. I was like two weeks I started studying and then, then COVID really ramped up in March this year. And yeah, I was just studying. And then I had Harrison in May. He was a COVID baby, you know, amongst all the restrictions, no visitors and all that sort of thing. 
And it was a challenge. Yeah, what would that be like? So you're having a baby and you can't actually have any visitors. Well, it's actually kind of good in a way because I was able to spend a lot more time focused on learning breastfeeding. I was determined this time to not go down the pumping route. And because, you know, there was no visitors popping in, I could really just take that time to keep putting him on. And he picked it up. My um, son now, Harrison, picked it up very quickly. But I do think having no visitors helped. And that was a good thing. I mean, Matt could come, but we had our toddler to look after. He was 18 months at the time. And so 18 months apart. But yeah, then I had this study, this, you know, and the last couple of months I was trying to feed and I would would do a feed. And as soon as he was finished, I had to hand him off to my mum or to my mum-in-law or to Matt and didn't have that opportunity to just sit and bond with him because I had this master's degree and the business has ramped up this year. I'm very fortunate in that way. But I just had so much on my plate. I was running this business. I had this full-time master's. I had two kids under two, a breastfeeding baby who was on the breast, the opposite. It was always on there. I had to go to Tresillion in Sydney to get some help with that because he just was – one day it was 20 hours straight he was on there. Wow. Yeah. So what did they say, like, if a baby's on for 20 hours? Well, it was a really easy fix. I was not – every time he cried, I thought, oh, he needs a feed. (laughs) And it wasn't as simple as that. Basically, I was overfeeding him or he would get wind and he'd be crying. And I thought, oh, he needs more food. (laughs) And um, I went down to Tresillion in in Penrith and they said, he doesn't need a feed. Wait three hours. Yeah. And I'm like, no, but he's crying. And they said, trust me. And then I, I sort of sat back and then sure enough, he went to sleep. And then three hours later, my breasts were able to replenish with plenty of milk. He only needed a quick, a quick feed. And then again, wait another three hours. So they were brilliant down there. How have you coped emotionally? Again, I, I'm like, you were going through a political campaign. As, as somebody who is just on the outskirts looking in, That I imagine that would be really, really hard. And, and it was, especially because you're exclusively feeding. But studying from home, so you're saying that was even tougher. Yeah, because I think I just took on too much. And probably because I was able to have that election campaign with a baby, in my head I thought, at the time, if I can do this, I can do anything, Yeah, you know, and actually, no, I probably took on too much this year Yeah, where, you know, I almost had a breakdown a couple of weeks ago in the last week of my, my studies. Are you still doing your master's now? I just finished it. Yeah. So <laughs> just finished it two weeks ago. Yeah. Last assignment. I had 28 assessments all year. Wow. And on that last week, we all got gastro, all four of us. And I had to ask for an extension. I just, oh, I was so upset. I was just crying, thinking I've survived all year, not asking for a single extension. I had a baby. I managed all these things. And now I've come right to the last week and I need an extension. I just felt like a total failure. You know, I thought I had all these balls juggling in the air. Now one has dropped. And wow, I was just so focused on that. And the lecturer was totally fine. As soon as you mentioned gastro, (laughs) yeah, one week extension. I didn't actually need the extension in the end. We got got better pretty quickly, but I just felt so, yeah, that, that really is it. I felt like a failure. Yeah. That's, that's tough to feel that way. I've, I felt like that and I wasn't doing a master's when I had my little boy. I just found it was the hardest experience that I've ever had to deal with was having a baby. And it's not, I feel terrible even saying that, how hard I found it. And, and again, my then husband was a pill diver and so he was out at sea all the time. So it was just me and little my baby. And I remember waking at one in the morning because he needed a feed and lying there, you know, feeding him and feeling so alone 
and going, am I the only person in this town that's awake? That's what I felt like. I felt like the only person in the world that was awake at one in the morning feeding a baby. And then, you know, he was really colicky and wouldn't go down. And I call my mom in Newcastle and cry because I, I, I just didn't know what to, and I remember feeling helpless going, I don't know what to do. I, I literally don't know what to do with a crying baby. It was, and so I would do the same thing, feed him feed him and then he'd projectile vomit because I'd overfed him. I, yeah, I just found it so tough. So that's why I'm a little bit in awe of going, wow, you, you know, you've managed to do that to get through, you know, you mentioned before about feeling lonely and, and the guilt and everything that goes with that. And, you know, and on top of that, you're, you know, campaigning or studying. That's, that's, that, I imagine that's tough going. It was. And those first four to six weeks are horrendous. You know, colicky. Yep. There's witching hour every night where I just could not calm this baby. Just 5 p.m. would roll around and he would just be uncontrollably crying. He was a pretty good baby. He's, he's the best baby now. But he was pretty good generally. But just this witching hour was Colic really is tough. tough. Four to yeah. ten. Witching hour. I'm calling it witching six hours. <laughs> Witching hours. Hours. Four in the afternoon till six. And I would be scared approaching like four or five o'clock. I'd be scared going, oh, my God, it's going to start. Yes, I get that. We were the same. We would always call in reinforcements to help get my mum over at five o'clock. It was and it was really bad because I couldn't have time to cook. You know, I would get Uber Eats all the time or pizza delivered. <laughs> you know, I just wasn't eating well. But you were just in survival mode. One thing that really did help me talking about social media was I joined a couple of mums groups just on Facebook and one was a Newcastle based one. There's about 250 mums who were all having babies around the same time. And we all met up at a cafe in Newcastle. It was kind of like a giant Tinder date where none of us knew each other. And we turned up there with our babies who were six weeks old, I think at the time, and just really reaching out to each other and meeting these strangers who were all going through this journey together and we were all struggling we all all our babies had wind that was a common complaint and yeah no sleep or colic and you know, all these different things and it, it was really a savior to get me through and we still meet up every week yeah that's great it's one great thing about social media as a new mum yeah i didn't have that there was no social media oh. when i had maxa yeah i don't know how you guys did it i i discovered infocol when he was one month old and that did change my life a little bit. A couple of drops of Infocol before I fed, boom, get those burps up. Oh, Infocol and Infant's Friend, they're both brilliant. Yeah. Yes. And I know that we'll, there'll be many a woman who will probably shudder at this, but I discovered a dummy at six weeks. <laughs> and, I, I, and that changed my world as well. Until I had made him give it up. That was a whole other ball game. But <laughs> No, it's funny. My, Harvey, my first son, he still loves his dummy, but Harrison has never taken a dummy. You know, yeah. my nipples are his dummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to this day. I mean, he's six months in a couple of weeks and, yeah, he still will, will not take a dummy. So I've given up trying. Yeah. yeah. Did you have to control cry any of them? No, Other I don't believe in that. Yeah. No. I, I tried control crying with Maxa when, because I gave him the dummy and that he stopped with the colic when I gave him the Invercol and the dummy, like that cured the, the colic. But then I had to, had to get, get like at some stage, get him to give up the dummy because he wouldn't sleep through. He was waking every hour if he lost the dummy in the middle of the night. So he would wake every hour and cry until, you know, pop the dummy back in. And I remember I tried control crying two nights in a row and that was horrendous, horrendous. And my sister was visiting from Newcastle at the time. And I remember she broke down crying. 
I think it was the second night. She's like, you can't do this anymore. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I couldn't, I can't even handle him. Crying. He doesn't cry much at all. This baby is such a happy little human. Yeah. But I can't even handle him crying for, you know, 10 seconds, let alone, oh, I couldn't, I just couldn't yeah. stand there and let him do it. I have to comfort him. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. But it was such a thing when, when I had Max. It was like all about the control crying. I think there are people out there who are big advocates for it. As far, they call it sleep training. You yeah. know, well, I think sleep training has a very broad mm. um, category, but one of so there are a couple of people out there who do sort of advocate for letting them cry for one minute and then you go in, or two minutes, then go in, all different. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, it, but yeah. it is controversial, I think, these yeah. days. It was, it was such a buzzword when, when Max, and that was 20 years ago. My son's now 20. Oh. So, <laughs> okay, I look at new mums now and I'm like, wow, times have changed so much. There's so many, like everything, there's always new ways of doing things and new research and opinions and what have you. Oh, so many opinions. So even on that topic, people are so divided and they say, oh, well, that causes anxiety in adults. Don't do that. That's why a lot of adults have got such, you know, anxious personalities now because their mum did control crying when they were younger. And then there's the whole debate about the frontward or rearward um, seats in the car, you know, because from six months, legally, if they meet the, the marker on the little car seat, you can turn them forward facing. And then other people think you should leave them rear facing. The research shows it's so much safer. But then other people will say, well, no, if I face him forward, then he's not going to be screaming in the car and surely that's safer. There are a lot of divided topics, you know, breastfeeding versus formula. And it's so overwhelming as a new mom to just, you have to just listen to your gut and think, this is what I believe is right. I'm going to block out all these different opinions and these judgments, which people have and they inflict on you as a new mum, and you have to just do what you think is right. I actually do, getting a bit personal now, even more so. You know, I, I look back now and I was 24 when I fell pregnant and 25 when I had Max. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I was a baby. I was a baby myself. Yeah, but so many advantages as well, I think. <laughs> because at my age, you know, I've just yeah. turned 38 and had my second. And I was 36 with the first. You're so used to everything in your career and life being mm. just working out. You control everything. You know, you set goals, it does this. You, you know, you aim for this, you achieve that. With these little humans, they come along. You can't always control them. Yeah. They do things that you can't stop them from crying or, you know, they'll act in a certain way and you can't control that. Yeah. And as an older mom, I've really struggled, I think, older than what you were. Yeah. I've well, struggled. Well, do you know what's funny? When I, again, I was pregnant with Max from 24, 25. And I remember I had a friend at the time who was 35 and she fell pregnant at the same time. And I remember she said to me, I'm considered ancient in child being <laughs> like pregnancy years. She said, I'm considered really old. And she was talking about having to go and do the Down syndrome test. Oh yes. Which again, in a small country town in the desert in WA, they, it was not advanced. I think it was just a blood test back then. They didn't have the nuchal fold or what have you out in the stigs. But I remember her saying that and she said, you know, once you're 35, you're considered really old. You're ancient in child rearing mm. years. Yeah. Whereas now I know so many women in that are over 35 that are having their babies. Yeah. I don't think it's anything I ever set out to do. I just always was so focused on my career. And then, you know, Matt's seven years older than me as well. We thought, oh, we better, we better start to have a baby now. Yeah. So that's a bit of our, our, our story there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. My sister had just had her second baby and she's 39. She had her first baby at 24 and her second baby at 39. Wow. Yeah. That's like having to do it all over again. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's really beautiful to see her as a mature mum. Yeah. And I mean, she's she's in awe of 
of hair. Yeah. That's great. I yeah. mean, we're in the thick of it. You know, we've got two in nappies. But the other thing is there are a lot of people out there who either don't remember how hard it was, which is what we are talking about with your mum, mm. only remembering the easy times, yeah. and other people just not caring. Yeah. I remember um, Harrison was 13 days old. And yep. I was in the thick of it. That two-week mark is tough. That's yep. like the toughest time. You know, they've got wind and not sleeping. And your nipples are hurting. Yeah. And I remember um, I'm president of a political the political party up in, in Port Stephens and someone in my branch contacted me and I said, oh, look, just so you know, I've just had a baby. I can't chat right now. And he texted me back and said, oh, I thought that was two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I probably won't speak to you for six weeks at least. (laughs) People just don't understand or they don't sort of give you that grace. And I was under pressure to get back to council, not so much this time, but the first time I had six weeks off. And I remember people thinking, where are you? You know, why aren't you being our local representative? You know, any other job in Australia, I don't think you can go back in the first six weeks. So why should it be different for a politician? Yeah, It was just a bit of an eye-opener about the expectations and a lot of the guilt comes from those expectations. So I can't go to a lot of events. Yeah, you know, I had a friend ask me to go to a, a function in Sydney in a couple of weeks. And I said, I won't be able to go to that on a Friday night in Sydney. Yep. And then she wrote back, just see how you go. Like, no, there'll be no seeing how I go. I can't go. <laughs> people just, and she's a mum, you know, grown yep. up kids. They People just forget or yep. I like to think they forget or maybe they don't care. I don't know, but there's not a lot of grace given. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder if it's a get forget thing. I'm like, oh, have I been guilty of that with any of my... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I a good guess- thing that you, don't, you sort of don't remember the bad times, though, if there were any. Yeah. Oh, I, I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they're probably permanently scarred on my brain. No, in saying that, I've got a beautiful 20-year-old son now. It's all good. So, Jamie, corporate superwoman to mum, what have you learned along the way on that journey, because that is a big shift, Mm. you know, and again, I know many a woman who has, you know, had been a career girl and really loved their career and then have gone to new mom, have had a baby and they've been knocked for six. Mm. Haven't, haven't kind of seen it coming that of how big that life change will be and how much of your, I suppose yourself and that you put on hold, you park while you have a baby and raise your kids. So what are the lessons learned? Mm, Look, don't say yes to everything. I've always said yes to every opportunity that has come my way. It's always been how I've operated and you can't do that as a mum. And you just need to expect that. Whereas I found out the hard way by feeling guilty about saying no to missing all these things. So that's one thing. I think also just rolling with it, knowing that these little humans will not be able to just fit your schedule. You know, you're going to have to just roll with it and, you know, they might get sick or they might react to their four month needles or they might be crying all night or they might get up at 4am like they did this this morning. And you have to just roll with that and not think, oh, I've got a big day today of meetings. I need to sleep. You have to just really just be open-minded. One thing I have learned the hard way this year as well is you need to eat well and you need to go for walks. I have not done that. I've put myself last and I've thought, wow, if I go for a walk now, that's an hour of study I miss out on. But really, I needed that walk to give me that energy to make myself feel good. And I haven't felt good all year. You know, I've been tired, sluggish. I've put on weight. I know we were saying before, a lot of us have put on weight because of COVID. Damn COVID, (laughs) the baking, the drinking. Yeah, the food delivery. Yeah. But I just feel like in hindsight, I really should have... It would have, everyone would have been happier in my household if I had have 
put myself first a little bit and gone for walks. So when I'm up at five in the morning, going for a walk on the beach with the pram rather than trying to get the little boy back to sleep. Yeah. So just, yeah, lots of fresh air walks, trying to eat well when you can and uh, not saying yes to everything, yeah. learning to say no. You know, an opportunity will come my way by email. No, thanks. Thanks anyway. That's really hard for someone like me to say no, yeah. but doing that and blocking out all the noise and doing what you think is right. There is so much research out there as a mum and you have to just take it all in and pick out the best bits that will work for you and your family. Do you have any regrets around running for government or studying your master's? Yeah, I don't really believe in regrets. It's, yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, my dad always says, oh, we shouldn't have run for federal seat of Newcastle. But I feel like that kind of helped me launch my business. So everything happens for a reason. I did say before, though, I think if I had have known how hard it was going to be as a mum and a candidate, I probably would have chose the timing differently there. Yeah. So, yeah, but I never sit around thinking I regret this. Yeah, I just kind of, and even if you make mistakes in life, I think, well, that's a learning opportunity. I remember I took that job at Aldi, uh, I talked about before when I left journalism, before I went to work for the federal MP. And that was purely a decision I made based on money. Uh, Aldi pay their staff really well. I was an area manager. I got a company car. I'd come from regional TV, which didn't pay as well as what Aldi did. It was like double my salary. And it was purely a financial decision. And I went down to, I was working at Mount Druitt, St. Mary's, Penrith, Richmond, Western Sydney, managing a couple of stores. And I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And I remember that was a life lesson. Didn't regret it, but I thought I will never take a job for money again. Yep. And I've always remembered that. So I feel like even if you make mistakes, you just take what you can and take the positive out of it. And that is what have I learned from this? Yeah. And have you had any light bulb moments about yourself? Oh, that's a really good question. I have. And that is I take on too much. I take on too much and I get stressed and you have to prioritize. And I've you know, I have had times where I haven't prioritized my family. I've gone down to Sydney to meet with clients when I've had, you know, my son who might have needed me to stay at home that day. I think that's a light bulb moment because, you know, in your last couple of hours while you're sitting there in your hospital bed, you're not going to have those clients there or you, it's family that matters. You know, your family are the ones that are going to be there to the end through the dark times. So I think that's the light bulb not necessarily moment, but, you know, learning, lesson learned that I've had is to prioritise family yeah. more than anything. Do you know what? I would say that would be a life lesson for myself as well. You know, when I reflect back now with my son and my, I have three lovely stepkids and they've been part of my life for 16 years. And, you know, I love all four of them dearly. And if I have any regrets in life, it's that where I prioritised my job or business before family. Mm. I can say that now I'm in my 40s, not going through the pause. No, no, I'm <laughs> no but I, I, I really actually, that, that's a light bulb thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and I, I have regrets there, I guess, in the mm. fact that my grandparents, my grandfather, he's no longer with me. And I remember over the years, always prioritizing job opportunities and work rather than spending time. I spent a fair bit of time with them, but there were some times there where I did choose work, you know, and rather than spending time with family. And I do regret that. 
The beautiful thing is that you have two lovely little boys and your family with two little boys is kind of near the beginning. Yeah, I love them so much. Yeah. You know, they talk about you never know love until you have your own kids and it's yeah. so true. And yeah, looking at my sister and seeing her with her little baby Arlo at 39, I see that in her. I'm like, wow, look at her go. She's in just a different place. And it's really beautiful to see her, you know, her business is much more advanced. She has employees now and things. So she can just focus on being a mom and say no to those things. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I love that. That's anyway, so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, my friend. Thank you for coming in and sharing your wisdoms and learnings with us. And also getting a bit real about it is actually tough you know, trying to do it all. Yeah. I don't know you. if we can do it all. No. I mean, look, I didn't really know what the lesson learned from this podcast was going to be. And if anything, it's just keeping it real. And I think we can have it all, but not all at once. Yeah. I think you told me that recently. Yep. And sort of, you know, what you see on Facebook and, and Instagram is not the real story you know I, I'm not going to put photos of me looking terrible at four in the morning up on on Instagram so I think it's just keeping it real and knowing you know we are all humans in life just trying to work out you know what's right and what we need to prioritize in life and it's we don't always get it right yeah and I think that's another lesson in itself is we all need to as a part of the sisterhood take it a little bit easy on each other because mm. our biggest critic is ourselves really you know the, the voice I hear in my head is my own you know being critical of myself and so it's like oh do you know what we need to actually be each other's cheerleaders and support each other because no one is going to be harder on you than you yeah it's so true so true yeah Yay. Well, thank you, Soul Sister. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mel. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesistercode.com.